19-year-old singer Billie Eilish has taken the world by storm the last couple years, and she has largely done that by playing against the traditional pop idol playbook. But in the last couple weeks, she has made some interesting choices, and she seems to be mastering that all-important skill for any pop star, the art of reinventing herself. We're going to talk about what's happening with her and why it's significant for your kids today. Hey, everyone. Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show. Focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, as we know, pop stars come and pop stars go. It seems like there's always one fading out and there's always a new one on the horizon. And I think it's safe to say over the last, oh, about three years or so, Billie Eilish, a young singer from California who got her start through social media, has been an absolute phenomena. And I think one of the reasons she's been a phenomena is, as I was saying, because she has not done the things that pop stars typically do, where often there's a kind of sexualization early on. She has really played against that, wearing big baggy clothes, and uh, that's really been a part of her shtick, if you will. Uh, but in the last couple of weeks, she has taken um, a little bit of a turn. And so I wanted to talk today about why this matters, why she's doing this, what she's saying about the choices she's making now, and how that influences her legions of young fans. But before we do that, I want to introduce everybody who's going to be participating in our conversation today. We have Kristen Smith, Emily Clark, Jonathan McKee. Well, to start our conversation, I want to throw this question at you. If you had to pick one pop star from the last low, these 50, 60, 70 years of pop stardom. So if you want to go all the way back to Frank Sinatra, I'll, I'll allow you to do that. Oh, man. Who do you think has had the most cultural influence and why? Beyonce. Oh, yeah. Beyonce. Okay. Queen B. Yep. Can Same we, I was going to say, can we even debate that? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you've got the Bayhive. They call her the Queen Bee and everything. If you... Anytime that anything ever comes out against Beyonce, her fans are immediately there oh, yeah. to say, no, she's perfect. It's like a flash you mob, know? right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you cannot touch her, really, not in a negative light. Um, when stuff does come out that's negative, it's almost always redirected towards mm -hmm. somebody else mm -hmm. because... The, again, her friend, her fans and probably her publicist, <laughs> you know, do a very good job of making sure that she is always seen in a positive light. Um, and yeah, I, I, I literally can't think of any other pop star who every single time an album comes out, their fans, the, the world really just kind of stops and loses its mind. All right. Well, mine's, I, I'm sure you guys are going to choose someone from like the 80s or something, but Maybe. I think... Honestly, I would either have to say like Taylor Swift or Justin Bieber, but I'll probably those were the two I was going to pick. So oh, now, now man. I'm going to have to pick somebody okay, I'll from just the choose 80s. One, I'll choose Justin Bieber. I would say Justin Bieber. I remember, um, I didn't really grow up with Justin Bieber, but my little sister did, and so I remember driving out to college and she's like five in the back seat knows every word to every song, <laughs> like obsessed with Justin Bieber, right? And and that's cultural right that's all over the world just like you were saying emily like when something drops everyone's there everyone's excited for you know what he has the difference is that people don't always like justin bieber so true well, so true but people don't always like beyonce either but i'll probably get hate yeah. mail for even saying that <laughs> people say people don't rare. always okay, like now, I'm gonna, canceled, now yeah. I'm gonna duck <laughs> i just canceled adam jonathan what about you well you know i mean i 
I hate to do what Kristen said and go back to the <laughs> 80s, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's really hard because uh, one part of me would almost want to say Michael Jackson because it's pretty well yeah. known that when he did oh, the yeah. moonwalk, um, it was such a huge step uh, for African-Americans because racism in America, you know, basically was, in, a, in essence, forced to kind of come to grips with, hey, we, we like entertainment and I have hate in my heart. I need to deal with it. <laughs> and I mean, it was a huge step for African-Americans. It was awesome. Um, but Michael Jackson is a messy subject right now, so I'm not going to go there. Um, instead, I see what I'm you did there. With, so you wanted with, to pick one but not talk about it and then pick something else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like so that, that's did. my way of she slipping it in also. and saying Star Wars, but we're not going to talk about Star right, Wars. Right, no Star um, Wars. Not a pop star. Um, I think... I think Madonna would be hard to ignore. Yeah, and someone else. Simply of. because in the '80s, when she decided to do some of the risky things, <laughs> risky and risque things that she did, yeah. um, she had such a following. And and we don't even need to go with you know the the you know incredibly sexualized stuff that she did. Right. You could even just look at like just the stuff she wore. The 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 little. Um, wrist jewelry and the gloves, the, you know, fingerless gloves and all that. You had people, she wore a crucifix and literally fans joked around about how all of a sudden little Jewish girls started wearing crucifixes. Why? Because Madonna wore a crucifix. I mean, she literally had such a following. Um, Everything she did was so imitatable she kind of changed culture, and I would say that many of the young stars now who kind of went the sexualized route yeah. literally almost followed in the footsteps of here's what Madonna did. So uh, she, was, she was quite a game changer. Yeah, I went, I went to Argentina. I studied abroad there um, back in, gosh, I think 2012 or something, and I remember being so shocked that she was everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Her posters were all over everything. <laughs> and I thought, wow, what? And everyone, like, she was like an idol, Still, um, it was just so cool to see how long that lasts. Well, and she's had a career that's now spanned, you know, right, whatever the math is, yeah. almost four decades, <laughs> yeah. three and a half decades. And she's had 50 number one hits yeah. over that time. Uh, and so I think in terms of cultural longevity, um, man, she's definitely in the running. So I'm actually going to reach back way back into the late 1950s and 1960s and for a particular reason. I am going to choose Ricky Nelson, and Who? here's why. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All the young people are Googling right now. Who's Ricky Nelson? So Ricky Nelson was the son of Ozzie Nelson, who, of course, was one of the stars of Ozzie and Harriet. So here was a kid that was on TV from the time he was eight. And I'm picking him not because he necessarily has the most hits mm. or is necessarily even the most culturally memorable but because he, I think, is the template for the modern teen idol who, and we actually haven't veered much from that since then. He came into stardom really young. He was, you know, sort of a multi-format star moving from television to music. Um, and he was the first one to really generate this massive teen following. Now, he also had the misfortune of starting to generate that following right about the time Beatlemania crashed onto our shores and, <laughs> and just wiped everything out. Uh, and notice I didn't say what's the most influential group because, well, the Beatles uh, were in yes, that conversation yes. every time. Uh, but that's another podcast for another time. Um, <laughs> but I think he really established the template for how a young person operates in 
you know, this multifaceted entertainment world. And, and almost everything that has happened since then is in some ways, uh, a play on, on what Ricky Nelson did, you know, and for many of these people right up to a tragic death, you know, I mean, that that's the last chapter a lot of times in these sorts of stories. So I think that's a, a great, um, segue or entree into our conversation today talking about Billie Eilish. And, you know, we talked about Madonna and one of the things Madonna has done fairly well, you could argue in the last 10 or 15 years, maybe she's lost a little bit of her magic, but Madonna has always had this almost intuitive sense of where culture is at and how to stay Mm -hmm. in the conversation and both, you know, reflecting and reinforcing the culture's values. And so that occasionally requires a stylistic change. It requires a change in your look. It requires a change in your attitude. Uh, And of course, we have seen that with so many other stars as well. I mean, Miley Cyrus comes to mind. I mean, I can just go down the list of stars that started off going one direction and then they've zigged or zagged back the other way Mm -hmm. in an effort to stay relevant. And obviously that brings us to our primary topic of conversation today, and that is Billie Eilish. So what is going on with Billie Eilish and why are we talking about her today? Well, um, so... A couple or a little while ago, you know, she dyed her hair from that signature neon green and right. black to kind the of blonde. Jo- Joker green. Yeah. And <laughs> then, um, which, you know, of course, signaled to her fans that a new album was coming. Because I uh-huh. guess whenever she changes her hair means that another album is coming. Okay. And then, um, so then uh, even more recently, she posed for the cover of British Vogue and uh, she ditched the baggy um loose baggy clothes and she's wearing you know corsets and you know uh i wouldn't call it necessarily skimpy but it's like lingerie style clothing right um i mean it covers the same as what a bathing suit would cover but but it's still much more revealing than her fans are used to (laughs) i mean they're used to her wearing loose baggy clothes where you can't even tell what she looks like underneath them, you know? So for her to do the exact opposite where she's wearing form fitting clothes, um, it's, it's just a very big shift, I think. Mm -hmm. And what has the response been? I mean, has it been critical? Has it been, okay. So say more about the mixedness of the response. Well, I think when you have somebody that goes for so long um, and their whole point is they don't want to be objectified so that they wear certain clothing um, and then they switch, you're going to have people that obviously, I mean, everyone has an opinion, right? Everyone feels that yeah. everyone cares about their opinion, which is right? why they put it on social media. Um, and here we are today. And here we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, it's been mixed. I think, I think it's been over, like most of it's been positive, um, but you're always going to have haters say what they say. So let's talk about the positive and let's talk about the haters. Yeah. I want to unpack this for the people who feel like Billy moving from being, if not modest, I'm not even sure she would say modesty was the issue. I think she no. would say she would have said, and she sort of built her reputation on being someone who, you know, really cared about her music and her art and didn't want her body to be the centerpiece of the conversation. So what are people saying positive and negative about this pretty big shift? So I feel on one side of the conversation, you have people who are celebrating this change that she's decided to make because, um, you know, it's not for her wearing the 
quote, modest clothing. It wasn't about being modest. Right. For her, it was more about not being objectified, especially since at the time she was underage. Right. You know, so this is yeah, her. She was 16 when she started. Yep. And now that and she turned 18 while we were all on lockdown. So she wasn't able to really release herself into the world, even though she was technically an adult. And so now that, you know, things are starting to reopen and, you know, she talks about this in her Vogue interview, you know, she's basically able to present herself now as an adult. And uh, I would say she's still very much against objectifying anybody um, because it's inappropriate, it's wrong, and we should expect better of ourselves. But she's more willing to show herself off, I guess. And so that that's what the positive side is saying. They're like, we celebrate this. We're so happy. And um, and yeah, and then I would say the negative side is that some people are saying that she's sold out. You know, it only took a certain amount of fame and a certain amount of money before she would get to this point like every other pop star. As you know, you mentioned several other pop stars earlier who have done a similar shift. Um, and she doesn't agree, of course. You know, she has her own reasons for why she does things. Well, I think it's interesting because we haven't heard her album yet. And so it's really premature to have a huge conversation about it. But she, um, as she's posting this, I think it's probably extremely normal to want to feel like you're a little grown up. And she says that in the interview, she felt more like a woman. like, And really, she looks more like one. You know, she's not in the baggy clothes. She's not really in that grungy teen style. And so she's kind her of... Her hair is not green. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's <laughs> growing up. Um, and it is supposed to represent, you know, her album title, I think is Happier Than Ever. Hmm. Um, it's supposed to release. And so a lot of it... So I just reviewed her song. Um, your power. And it really deals with the fact that she was underage and was in a relationship with an older man. And so she works through this emotional, mental abuse. Um, and now is saying I'm much happier now, at least by the title of the album and in some of the interview. Um, so it's really interesting because I think when someone looks at a picture like this, someone posing like this, and you're talking about the Vogue, the Vogue article. Yeah. Article. I think really what what culture tends to do is say, well, of course, maybe something like that happened to you or is going to happen to you because look how you look how you're dressing. Mm-hmm. Right. That's kind of how we, we tend to the skew vic- it. Victim shaming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at you. Right. Um, and that doesn't I think each person needs to be held responsible for their actions. It, that doesn't let anybody else off the hook. It's just it's kind of setting the ground to say we're all responsible for ourselves. Yeah. I think it's interesting that so much of the discussion happening right now is, of course, based on the world's logic and the world's perspective of, well, I think that women this or I think it's shameful that and it's interesting. There's a whole lot of I think going on Um, uh, this morning. I was uh, listening to a message as as my habit on on my way to work. I I've been listening to a lot of Tim Keller lately and uh, and it was interesting because the passage that he was going through this morning was, uh, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Mm. And literally that was the passage I was hearing this morning. And very relevant. It was fascinating as I was um, thinking about this and thinking about how Jesus treated the people he encountered. Mm. And um, I just am so thankful that as uh, a believer, um, the Bible is our source of truth, and the Bible is our source of um, imitatable behavior. And the more we spend time with Jesus, the more when we encounter uh, Billie Eilish, um, someone who's got some really interesting philosophies and happens to be a role model with young people, hopefully our response is going to be one of of prayer and compassion and love 
and wow, here's someone who's who's really an interesting thinker, and and she's got quite a following, and and hopefully we would pray for her. And, and now that doesn't mean that as a parent we're necessarily going to be like, oh, go ahead, kids, you have free access to her content or right, other people's right. content. We do need to be aware of the content our kids are digesting, and we need to teach them to be discerning with it. Um, but I think. As I'm thinking about this whole discussion, I think it's almost uh, it's funny that the world, of course, has to go, well, she this and she that, because a lot of it is um, kind of, uh, you know, we could deal with a lot easier if we took that plank out of our own eye. Mm. That's good. Mm. Yeah, I think it's actually interesting because part of this conversation, um, I, I, I'm going to pull up a quote that she said in the in the interview. She said, it's and then an, I'm, I'm going to throw one in after okay. you. Okay. <laughs> She said, it's an insane thing. Young women were expected to know and do everything and be everyone's mom when we're like 15. Um, and I don't think anyone, like in smaller circles, right? Like let's take out of the media. If it's just us, I don't think really probably anyone thinks out of local culture. But if you're thinking about culture at large and you're thinking about somebody like Billie Eilish, it's sort of true. You know, she is this icon. People are looking at her for an example. And there probably are a lot of parents that are like, man, I wish you would do this, this, and this because my daughter's looking to you for this example. But, and she does talk about this in the article, it really is kind of a double standard that we're seeing because there are so many men that write songs and do things about, you know, whatever they want. uh, And it's just viewed differently. I remember Mm. in high school, I just remember this so clearly. I was getting my hair done and one of the the hairstylists wanted me to go out with her son. You know, I'm like 16. I'm like, no, I'm good. And she told this whole story (laughs) about how... It was like a country song waiting to happen. It really was crazy. (laughs) She just told this whole story about how, like, basically her son made all these poor choices. And her last phrase was, but boys will be boys. And I thought, man, isn't that so messed up? Absolutely not. Not for a man, not for a woman. Like, we are called, and this is part of Jonathan's uh, point, I think originally is that we're called to a higher standard. Um, It is not that one person. And so part of this article, right, is she's saying a lot of it's do what you want, do what you feel. And that's what's right. And so that was actually probably the more interesting thing that I thought as I read this, not her choice of clothes, whatever. It was really about it's all about what makes you feel good. Yeah. And And that's such a deep conversation. Well, and that's the quote that I wanted to get to. I mean, she says, quote, Well, exactly what you just said. It's all about what makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. And I thought as I read that quote, man, if I were looking for an eight word thesis for popular culture and entertainment culture that is not connected to thinking about a a worldview that's bigger than that. Right. I mean, the only thing that matters is your feeling in the moment. And so for a while... You know, Billy felt like I don't want to show my body to everybody. And Mm -hmm. now it's this is what I want to do because it makes me feel good. And so we can have a conversation about the choices she's making in terms of what she's wearing or not wearing. But the bigger conversation I think here is that emotional in the moment, you know, the only thing that matters is whether it makes you feel good or not. And anyone who's a parent knows that's not always a good thing. If that's going to be your grid for decision making. You could have a lot of problems. Right. Um, last weekend, I was teaching a parent workshop um, across the country, and, and it was yet another one of those times where a parent comes up to me after the workshop, shares a story of her daughter who was pressured to share a pic 
Um, and she shared this pick and it got passed around. And before she knew it, she was facing the blame of why did you share this pick? And all this attention was on her. Why did you say it? And, and the way she described this picture, it was much more revealing than the one on the cover of Vogue right, um, right now. And um, it's crazy because I can't help but think about the pressure that young people are facing right now. And when they're growing up in a world where they're being taught just go what feels right in the moment. Yeah. You got a young girl who's got a device in her bedroom at night at 1130 PM and a guy saying, come on, I love you. You're so beautiful. Send me a picture. Show me your beauty. You right, know? Right. And she's going, well, right now I feel like this is the right thing to do because it feels like he loves me. It feels like I want to do it. And so she does that. And then she finds out later, wow, there's consequences to that decision. And these are the kind of conversations we need to have with our kids is that, you know, and that's what's so honestly freeing about the word of God is that there is, there is a, a, some guidance out there of what wisdom looks like. And when you're in a relationship with Christ, um, it's not just about what we feel, but it's about what the word of God says. And that can help us as we're navigating these decisions. It's not just by, Oh, now I feel like doing this. Let's see how this turns out. Whoops. That didn't turn out so great. That's weird. Did my feelings lead me astray? It's bizarre. And so these are good teaching points with our kids, not to judge and say, look at this idiot who did this, but actually to look with compassion and say, wow, as fellow strugglers who are struggling with these feelings, what do we do in this situation? Well, and I want to, I want to comment on one thing you said. I think that we need to recognize the difference between being judgmental and making a judgment. Yeah. We often hear the passage where Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, right? Right. You know, how often has somebody thrown that at us if we have said something critical? Mm -hmm. But there's also a passage in John where Jesus says, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. And so I think it's important to distinguish between being judgy and condemning. It's absolutely not our place to stand in condemnation of any pop star, of a kid who makes a bad choice, you know, of Billie Eilish. But I think that we can step back and make a judgment. And and by that, what I'm saying is we can think critically about this and we can help our kids to think critically about it as well. Yeah, I actually took a screenshot of something earlier that I thought was super funny. It um, it was a meme. It says, if you love me, keep my suggestions. Woke Jesus. <laughs> right? Because this isn't, Jesus isn't suggesting a way of life. If if we're choosing to follow him, it's, it's demanded of us. It's a command, right? right. Like, this is the way. And so... I think it's funny that we're talking about this quote. She says, it's all about what makes you feel good. This is not a new thing. This is from the beginning of time. This is the Garden of Eden. This this makes me feel good. I'm going to choose this. However, what we're experiencing now is everything that we see can be blasted and put on social and we can see all this stuff and it's in our face all the time. Um, So I think it's, I really love the root of this question because we're really getting at helping our kids think through and process how to not be driven only by emotion. You will be driven by emotion. I am driven by emotion. And emotion right? that's combined with the world's value system that's very different from a biblical worldview. Yes, yes. very much. But I, I think it's, I don't think we need to be surprised by the fact that this is coming up because this has been here for forever. Right, it's we've not always, new. Right, we've always, like, I get angry, I yell. It may have felt good in the moment. Was it right? No. So what am I doing to correct it? And so I think the line there is, 
what do we believe that draws us and points us back to what is right? For us, it's the Lord. Well, and, and I mean, what a great time to bring up the story of of uh, several young men who were plucked out of their, you know, safe, godly homes and were thrown into the middle of secular culture and encouraged to do whatever the culture was telling them to do. And a young man by the name of Daniel it says right there in the passage, he resolved, and I think that's getting on that word, Adam, that you were talking about. He made that judgment. He made that decision. He mm-hmm. resolved to not defile himself. And all throughout Scripture, we hear about justice and righteousness, and, and God wants us to, to you know, do what's right and, and, and to care for others. And that's throughout Scripture, and it's a decision we need to make. And um, it's not just based on what feels good in the moment. What is culture pressuring me to do? Um, and I love the book of Daniel for that. You see that happen over and over again, where young men are making decisions that's against their own well-being, against what might even feel right at the moment, because they're doing what's right. Yeah, I think culturally, what we're taught now is that love gives a pass to absolutely everything. Right. And worldly the love... The only thing that matters these days in the worldly perspective is consent. Yeah, I mean... And that's it. Right. You if, know? If you love someone, you accept all of them. That's not true. <laughs> if I love you, I do love you. And it's okay. I'm a mess too. You're a mess. It's fine. But when the point is, is that we're pointing each other back to truth. The point is, right. is that Jesus is love, but he's also holiness. And I think we try to separate that now culturally. We want to say, um, let's only look at love, but we don't know how to hold up holiness and righteousness right next to it. And unfortunately, like... That's the way it is. It's, it's not supposed to be separated. Yeah, I think that's actually interesting because when you when you think about it, it really does. They're like, whatever whatever feels good to you is what you should do. And I think that that's why a lot of teenagers especially is what I'm noticing. They're confused. They're like, okay, this is what feels good, but mom and dad, you know, in the church are telling me that that's not what Jesus says. But isn't Jesus love? Wouldn't he want me to feel good? And yeah. they don't know what to do. And yeah, so that's good, I think it's really confusing for Christian teenagers – well, for teenagers, period, but for Christian teenagers especially, I think that when you're told that what feels good isn't necessarily what's right, that can be very confusing because they're, and she, Billy actually says this in her article. She said that, you know, when you're 15 years old, that's the oldest you've ever been. Therefore, you think you are, you're at the most mature that you've ever been in your life. So you think you know everything. Right, yeah. right. Right. So, like, and that's what these teenagers are going through. They, you, they, you know, they feel like they're supposed to educate their parents on what actual rightness is or, you know, but there's a difference between, that what they think and righteousness like they don't realize that what they're saying is the reason it's not correct is because it's not holy it's not righteous it's just what you think is right in that moment yeah i mean i think we all did that right i oh yeah i knew everything i I had it all right (laughs) pretty much all the way through (laughs) yeah i think that going back to what you said earlier the scope now is different i did a lot of dumb things that if they would have ended up on social media would have changed my life forever, which is probably another podcast for, oh, yeah. for another time. <laughs> yeah. But I think that the challenge for us as parents today um, and for those who are engaged with young people, maybe you're not a parent, maybe you're you know, involved with church ministry or you're a grandparent, um, is to be entering appropriately into conversations where we're talking about our culture's view of sex, because, you know, that's not the only thing I don't think that Billy is talking about here, but certainly that is the presenting issue much of the time. And it's got to be a deeper conversation than 
the Bible says don't have sex until you get married. Like if that's all we're giving our kids, we're throwing them to the wolves because our culture says this is the most important thing. This is the place where you find significance. Mm -hmm. This is the pinnacle of human experience. And um, I, I think that what is required of us, even though it's really uncomfortable, and my kids are 10, 12, and 14, and let me tell you, I've had a couple of really uncomfortable conversations about this stuff. Yeah. Um, but if we don't enter into a deeper conversation about what has God designed our sexuality for? Uh, what does scripture say about the reasons for those boundaries? What mm-hmm. What's the outcome of, you know, really internalizing God's perspective as opposed to if it feels good, do it. Right. Um, and, and we've got to be in conversation because... The culture is absolutely having that conversation. Billie Eilish is having it. You know, animated kids shows are having it. It's right. everywhere now. Yep. And and so our challenge is to get over our discomfort and to say, you know what? We're going to have a really robust and theologically grounded conversation about what God has to say on this subject. Yeah, I think to tie that in with Emily, you had said this, and Adam and Jonathan, you guys too, like we're not looking at Billie in – at least I, I, I don't want to do this. Look at her and say, and I know a lot of people have said this, like she looks satanic. Okay. <laughs> Take a deep breath. She might, but <laughs> we're, I think it's so important to step back and look at what she's saying. She is a person with thoughts. She's making music that can be kind of dark, but we all have dark thoughts. We might not just be putting them into music. And so it's so interesting, I think, to take what she's doing and have, Adam, like you're saying, that deeper conversation with your kids so that you can pull out some quotes because there's so much here that you can really talk about to break down. This is what we believe. And it's contrasted directly with culture that's right in their face. Yep. Instead of making it this far off thing that's so lofty, it's right in front of us. And we're able to have that earnest conversation with our kids and equip them and train them right now. Yeah, that's right. And I think that we also need to have a a conversation that deals with what she says, you know, the words that she's using. But, you know, a lot of times words with our kids, it's just like, it's right over their heads, right? Mm -hmm. I think we also have to have a parallel conversation about the power of image. We're living in this world where everybody takes pictures of themselves. They post pictures online you know, let's also be talking about what happens when we look at a picture of a star, any star who is presenting herself in a sexualized way. You know, what what message does that send? What does that cause you to think about yourself? Does it, you know, make you think happy thoughts about yourself? Do you want to imitate that? And and it goes for boys too. We can think this is a conversation just about girls, but yeah, absolutely. Man, it's both it, ways. it absolutely applies to, you know, young men growing up today as well. So, um, there's a lot of work for us to do here as parents, right? It is, I confess, it's intimidating. I struggle sometimes yeah. to get my head around how do we help them understand and internalize a biblical worldview that shapes the way they make choices. And the reality is, as we were joking earlier, we all made mistakes as teens. I did some really dumb things as a teen, and by God's grace, the consequences weren't life-altering. But I know some people that made some bad choices And the consequences were life altering. Mm -hmm. So the stakes are high here for our kids. And I think what this story about Billie Eilish does is it gives us a really great jumping off point. If our kids are aware of it, I'm not sure I want you to go out and buy British Vogue if you haven't seen this and show it to them. But uh, the reality is our kids are encountering this stuff. And with social media, even a magazine in a foreign country, those images end up 
all over the place, right? I mean, yeah, she posted the same images on her Instagram account. So, you know, if your kid lives here and is just scrolling through Instagram and sees it, I think it. they said... Um, I don't know if it was this specific image, but one of Billie Eilish's image... Six million. Hit... Wasn't it? It was like something crazy. No, no, no. It hit a million million likes in under six minutes. It's the Mm. fastest that any photo has ever reached that many likes. She also is of the top 20 most liked pictures on Instagram. Six of them are hers. That's more than anyone else. Wow. So, I mean, like, on Instagram, she... You know, to me, she is like one of the biggest people on Instagram, if not the biggest person on Instagram. So it's like if your kids are following her, they've seen this image. And that's a terrific illustration of what we're talking about here, which is just that power of image and the fact that our kids are being exposed to it. Uh, So as always, our desire is to equip you, to encourage you. And our encouragement is to both be setting appropriate boundaries for your kids with their entertainment choices, but to be engaged with them in the conversation about what's happening out there so that that influence isn't happening in a vacuum, but you're having a conversation. And yeah. honestly, there are times when you try to have a conversation, your teenager is going to roll her eyes. <laughs> like if I had a quarter for every time my 12 year old has rolled her eyes at me, I would be a rich person and I would be retired. <laughs> um, But the messages are important. And even if it seems like they're like, Dad, I don't want to talk about this. They're listening. We're shaping their values. We still have a hugely important role to play in the lives of our kids, helping them to navigate these areas. Well, I hope that our conversation today has been one that has encouraged you and has given you some new things to think about. Uh, If you have comments or feedback or questions or just want to interact with anything that we've said today, um, please head to our Instagram or Facebook pages, and we would be happy to continue that conversation with you there. And we would also like to give you a chance to to go deeper as a parent. So as our thanks for being part of the Plugged In Show family today for a gift of any amount, we would love to send you a copy of Dr. Danny Huerta's book, Seven Traits of Effective Parenting. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on our plugged in blog entry for today's conversation. Or just give us a call at 800 A Family and we will get Danny's book sent out to you. Uh, he's my boss. It's an excellent book. And he talks a lot about intentionality. And that's one of the things that, that we have been talking about here today. As always, we're really glad that you have chosen to spend this time with us today on the Plugged In Show. And we look forward to having you join us for another conversation next week. Next week.